It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, my boy, Nick Braccia, the Marlon Vera front kick to my Frankie Edgar's face. How are you, my friend? Oh, why you gotta do, why you gotta do my boy like that, Nick? I know I know Frankie Edgar's your boy. Why you gotta dis- disrespect my little my little guinea from Tom's River? I've got I've got love Pizano. for Frankie. I'm a, I'm a Jersey guy now, Nick. You've got the Italian thing with Frankie. I've got the Jersey thing with Frankie. You are about Frankie's age. I'm a I'm a I'm a bit older than Frankie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I was, I was, see, I'm I was, older. I'm I'm older than the old guys. I wonder if there's anyone in. If, I mean, I'm older than Glo- I'm four. I'm, yeah, I'm older than Glover. Jesus, it's 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 very different, Nick. You are not competing in a sport. If you were competing in a sport, then you are fucking ancient. You are a marketing executive. I think you're doing just fine, buddy. I think you're exactly where so. you should appreciate. be. So I, I appreciate that. So so Nick, UFC 268, fucking exciting. I mean, it, it's everything you could ask for. 14 fights, the majority of them absolutely exhilarating. A bunch of knockouts, uh, some sick finishes, some really really exciting fights. Potential uh, fight of the year contender between Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. But let's start with that main event. Nikolai Kamara Usman defends his. Let's, hey, let's start with our main event. Talk to me. Because we're tied. I mean, we tied again. The la- all this month, I've been fighting tooth and nail. I've been picking almost perfectly, like maybe one loss per card, but I can't get any ground because you're matching me fight for fight. It's like I finally picked it up, and you're not giving an inch. Yeah. 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 You know what? Look, it, it speaks to like the level that we're both at now. Like We're picking really, really well. I think over the last 12 events. We have been, we've picked really, really well the last several events. Like We've gotten almost, we've gotten almost nothing wrong. I'm 25 and three over the last two events, which puts me, I think, at an 89 percent pick rate, which is kind of insane. I mean, we'll see what if am- this keeps going. Of course, you are uh, yeah. 24 and four, which is like right around 86, 85 percent. So, like, we're we're killing it uh, over these last couple of events, and these are not super easy events to pick. A lot of these fights, uh, a lot of these fights could go either way. We're picking occasional underdogs correctly, even when we swing and miss. It's close, like. Really yes, is. I lost the Frankie underdog fight, but for one and a half rounds, it looked like after the first round, it looked like Frankie was going to Yaya Rodriguez him. Yeah, man. I mean, like Yaya Rodriguez, he just kind of ravaged. But, but yeah, in this case, it looked like he could potentially pick up the decision. But we all know that Marlon Vera doesn't start fast, right? He starts slow. So you don't really know what's what Marlon Vera, uh, how Marlon Vera can compete with an opponent until you see him in the second round. But let's get into the main event first, Nikolai Kamaru Usman. Kobe motherfucking Covington. By the way, real quick, we are going to get in, into UFC Fight Night coming up this weekend. Main evented by Max fucking Holloway and Yara Rodriguez. We're getting Max Holloway for free, Nikolai. No pay-per-view. Now, uh, the bottom half of this Second card... Second time is, in a row. Second yeah, man, Max fight in a row. I am very into that. The bottom half of this card is actually is actually like more stacked than the top half, but a fantastic main event. Probably six or seven overall fights that are really, really good on this card. So definitely some stuff to look forward to. I, I think there's uh, like the, the, the bottom portion of the main card you can miss and outside of that pretty spectacular but we're gonna get into UFC 268 quickly Nikolai let's talk about Kamaru Usman Kobe Covington man what were your impressions of this defense man oof it you know it's hard because everyone wanted it to be as as thrilling as the first fight which was razor thin from bell to bell this was a little bit different 
whether it was the power, whether it was energy and his strategy, uh, Colby wasn't really in the fight in the first round. I think he thought he did better than he did, but he Usman drove like drove. He drove and clearly won that first round. And in the second round, he hurt him badly. He got him. He he. You know, he switched him off twice. I mean, Kobe Kobe's resilient. He's going down because his body his body gave out from the, from those shots, and then he got and then he he popped back up. Um, but yeah, the second round was it a ten eight? I don't know. It didn't occur to me as a potential ten eight at the time, even though they mentioned it uh, later. And then, you know, Kobe's uh, Kobe's gas tank and volume started to give uh, Usman trouble. There are some people that make a case that Colby won the third. I don't think he did, um, but I certainly gave him the fourth and the fifth. Um, so it was an interesting fight. It just it had a it had a flow and a structure um, that was different and, and exciting in a different way from the previous one. So a little bit of a not a disappointment, but a bit of a come down uh, from their from their first bout. Uh, but still, it was exciting. And like as much as I as much as I hate Colby, he's a tough out. He's 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 durable and he's got he's got gas for days, and Usman does have. Uh, I people are talking about him as the goat. I think, I I do think he's got some uh, more ob, more obvious flaws than uh, exploitable flaws than than GSP did. It's just that he's more dangerous than GSP was, um, as far as as far as his power goes. But his defense is uh, his defense is not great. He can he can overswing. Uh, he does seem like he gets a little tired. I wouldn't go as far as to say that he gasses. It could just be that against Colby, anyone you know anyone's going to be tired. Um, and he's he sometimes sometimes his striking, even though he's got this power and he's tightened it up, is just a little meat and potatoes. And I feel like occasionally you can see him thinking a bit. Uh, but he's, I think you're right about that. I mean, but he's a tough out. He's a t- I mean, because he him- he he himself is durable. He's got incredible power, uh, and 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 he's pretty he's pretty darn quick too. So if they continue to increase his boxing, I, I think I just don't I just don't think I think we're going to see him lose. I just don't know when. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a matter of time. I think he's around thirty three years old, so he's right thirty four. Yep. Uh, thirty four. So so he's really entering that territory where. The durability and the reflexes are going to start to pull back just a little bit as long as he's not using any performance enhancing drugs. Um, where like well, right that's now, a that's a that's a question because he did he does have fucking belly dots and he does have, he did have back knee coming into this fight. I was I saw both of those myself before, you know, before Colby like called that shit out. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, here's the thing at this at this point in time, Nick. At this point in time, if you're a UFC champion and you have back knee because of steroids, like your your guy sucks. Like, why the fuck do you have back? Like, th- like that's a that's that's like a ten years ago thing. Like, you should have you should have the kind of the kind of drugs and the kind of combination cocktail so that it doesn't show in that way. I have some back knee occasionally. Um, I'm not on the juice, and that's very clear. So. You know, so so like I I don't know that that's definite proof, but it's entirely possible EPO and that sort of thing. Who the hell knows, right? But he's never been popped, so there's not much reason to doubt him. He's always been athletic. He's always been uh, strong. He's always been powerful. He just now has learned to use all of those attributes. But yeah, when it comes to this fight, Nick, I, I will say, like you're saying that he's meat and potatoes. I don't disagree. I think there's a very rote element to his style at this point, where he is essentially excelling at the very basics he's become he's gotten so so good at the basics that guys can't really mess with him right colby um had plans uh, first of all 
just real quick, let's go back a second. I love it when my breakdown is like pretty spot on and 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 it happens more and more often as we as we've been recording this podcast. This matchup I feel like I caught exactly. I talked about how Usman prior to this fight talked about how he wants to control the violence, right? He doesn't want to just dive into the tornado, he wants to control it. And I talked about how the ways he might do that is either with footwork, uh, lots of head movement, and, and kind of rolling with shots as Kobe's throwing 100 shots a, a second instead of just firefighting him. He did exactly that. He was rolling with a lot of Kobe's punches. Uh, he was uh, he, he was countering, slipping just ever so slightly out of the way, so slightly that some people might think that Kobe landed some of those punches when he didn't. So it was just it was just tact. He was just a much better boxer. His jab was consistent. Um, his leg kick counters were fantastic, whether it be uh, countering Kobe's body kicks with with a, a hook cross or a cross hook or catching his kick and then coming back with a with a hand combo. He was consistent. I talked about how Kobe is going to be going for a lot of takedowns in this matchup, um, and he did, man. He went for 11 takedowns. There's hoopla with Daniel Cormier deciding that he scored a takedown because— I had bet five, by the way, but— yeah, yeah, you said, you, you said five, yeah. and you were like, "That's so many." No, l- l- listen. M- my point was, you were saying there's not going to be a whole lot of shooting in this fight, and and you were like, "There's only going to be about five. And I was like, "Dude, like that's that's not." I mean, for Kobe Covington, I literally said for Kobe Covington, that's not a lot, but overall, that's like a lot of shooting in a in a in a high level fight. Um, and and yeah, he he went for eleven. He failed on every one of them. There's an argument to be made that that. Usman's butt touched the mat for just a second as he immediately rolled him over and Kobe's claiming that that's a takedown even though Kobe ended up on all fours and Usman had the headlock position. So yeah, I mean, Usman looks fantastic. Kobe won that fourth round. Um, uh, He lost the fifth round on the judges' scorecards. I thought the fifth round, I guess, arguably could have gone his way, but here's the thing about Usman. When you have his kind of of horsepower and you're able to go pretty strong in that fifth round, um, that's commendable. You said that he kind of gets tired. and Yeah, like everybody gets tired in a five-round fight. It's just... uh, uh, like some people are mentally strong enough to barely show it. And that's where Usman was. The thing about Kobe is that he doesn't have the firepower. He's throwing 100 million pitter-patter shots the entire fight. Well, um, he, he definitely was throwing hard. He was, I mean, Usman gave him credit for it. He picked up some pop between the fights. And I, I talked about that too, right? Where Kobe was going to make his improvements was in his power. That's the one area that he really could use improvements because it would make a big difference in his game. Uh, but but you're right. He hit a little bit harder, but he's still not throwing with the kind of power that Usman is, the kind of power that McGregor is, right? There's not less reason close, to get tired. Right, right. right. And so, and so and that's the thing. And, and Usman kept it all together. Um, those last two rounds were more competitive, but I think there was something to for Kobe, right? This is his first real fight since getting his jaw broken by this same man. And I think he was particularly more careful than a lot of us expected him to be in the first few rounds. Uh, he didn't want to take on so much damage early so that he couldn't survive and, and do well late, which, you know, on, on paper worked, but he didn't come alive quite early enough. And Usman just had his number. Uh, Usman is just like, he, he's, he's thoroughly the best in this division. Is he the pound for pound king? No, I think Alexander Volkanovsky is the pound for pound king. The only other person, in my opinion, that has a strong argument to that is uh, Henry Cejudo, but he's been retired and quote unquote retired and not fighting for a little while. Well, you're talking men's MMA then, because I, I think that Shevchenko and Nunes both can make claim. That we could, that's I, th- I think I think Shev- Shevchenko needs some real opponents to make claim to that. It's like Demetrius Johnson back in the day. Like you can be pound for pound best yeah. because you're beating a bunch of like eight and zero people who have no business being in there with you. But how about some real competition? Uh, Usman has real competition, right? Uh, Volkanovski has absolutely elite competition and consistently beats them uh, strategically with tactics and skill. So in my opinion, Volkanovski is the pound for pound best. In my opinion, Kamar Usman is a close uh, close I- second. As far yeah, as I actually UFC think, I mean, I think Jan is scary. I think Jan's scarier than Usman. <laughs> like, um, I could honestly, a, a great argument to be made there. 
I've seen fewer moments. I've uh, lately in this in the last cup in the last few years, I've seen fewer moments of vulnerability from from Peter Jan than I have in Kamaruzma. Well, I mean, we've seen Peter Jan lose like 13 minutes of a fight uh, in which he got a couple of knockdowns yeah, but- and won that way, right? We, we've seen weaknesses. We've seen him look not great against Jose Aldo for the majority of that first round, for example, until he until he hurt Aldo. So, like his power, but he wouldn't really look does- hurt. He would just he would just eat he would just eat shit and compute. You never yeah. saw his eyes be like oh, you never saw concern. Yes. No, no, no doubt you about have, it. You and, have with and, you've you've seen we've seen Usman a little. Uh, Gilbert, a little you know, Gilbert Burns had him. Colby yep. got, caught him a few times. Yeah, and and Peter Ryan was knocked down once by uh, by uh, who was that uh, Jackson Wink fighter? John Nick? John John, John Dodson. Dodson. That, that, that's right. That was the only time he was kind of flash knocked down. So he has been hurt, but and he you're right. He religiously loses the first round because he's a pressure guy. He wants you to expend energy. He wants to get some reads on you before putting all the all all of his high output on you. But yeah, look, uh, Kamaru Usman is a fantastic fighter. He is clearly the best welterweight, the most dynamic welterweight champion of all time. Um, is he the best ever? It, it's hard to argue. The, the competition right now is way higher than when GSP was fighting. So the argument certainly could be made. Argument could be made that Colby Covington and uh, Colby Covington has a style to beat GSP on paper, right? GSP is not necessarily going to outstrike Colby Covington. He's not going to shoot through right through Colby Covington. Although Kamar Usman was able to get a takedown on him, uh, if if only for a moment. I actually think GSP would shoot right through Colby Covington, but who knows? You do GSP, who's like five seven, five eight, who's like the welterweight of yesteryear, who should be fighting at one fifty five in today's I'm, MMA. I don't know, man. Uh, Colby's not yeah, a big I guess it's, welterweight. It, you're right. It's hard. It's hard to. It's it is it is hard to compare. I just think of the athleticism of his double. Was like, <coughs> the Hazmat Shemaev's double, the only person who's come near that speed is, is GSP. Uh, well, Kamzat's legitimate speed with GSP was just brilliant timing, and that's something that Jackson uh, Wink was I mean, known was for back then. There was a lot of fucking... It was it was brilliant timing, but it was explosive. Oh, it was yeah, no 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 doubt about it. But but the part of the reason the timing works there is because he would do it when opponents are coming at him, and that was like something that the entire MMA world didn't realize yet is that you could shoot under your opponent's forward right. pressure, uh, and right, GSP right. was just so fucking good at that because your opponent's like almost midair going forward, and if you just imbalance him and and throw his legs uh, kind of under him and and his and his chest backward, he's going to have to fall, and and it's going to look pretty easy. It's going to look like a pro wrestling spear. Uh, but yeah, look. Uh, Fantastic work by Kamaru Usman. What's next for him? Uh, I, I think, I think. I mean, is he going to wait for Kamzat Chimaev? Uh, who's the alternative to that, Nick? Is there is there anybody at the top of that division? Because Stephen Thompson is coming off of a loss, so it's tricky. Oh boy, you're, you're asking. Oh, Luke, I mean, Luke. I think Luke is a fun fight. You're right, and they're former training partners, so there's a, a bit of a storyline there. And he seems like a good guy. He seems like a guy to me that deserves the he deserves the rub. Like, yeah, he's put on. He's done nothing but be in, be incredibly entertaining in victory and defeat for the last five years. It's true, but let me let me see. I want to quickly look at his record. Has he beaten any like truly elite opposition? Kiesa's Kiesa's up there for sure, man. Um, Stephen Thompson, he did lose to, but uh, here's the thing. Before Tyron Woodley and Michael Chiesa, he had wins over guys like Randy Brown, Nico Price, Mike Perry. These are like Derek Krantz. These are like Brian Barbonero. These are like low to mid level. I mean, uh, who did Colby Covington beat to get a rematch? Oh, a hundred, hundred percent. It was his body work. Like, Part of that, it was the. I'm it just was saying. The, uh, this, yeah, no, that's a fair. Point. I, don't, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's a real threat, but he's on a four. He's on a, a forfeit win streak. You take Stephen Thompson, who's a tough out for anybody, and it was yeah. fight of the night. And he's and that's the only loss that he has in the last you know in the last four years, 
going, you know, going through to Edwards. So it's gonna be it's gonna be Luke or Edwards. It'll be it's, we got to see what happens with this Edwards. Oh right, fight. Edwards now Who, with uh, with Masvidal pulling out. There's a fair chance that we don't, there's a chance maybe, that, that Edwards might get the next shot, especially if Usman wants to fight soon. Maybe maybe they do an Edwards Luke rematch there. Like that could be interesting. Uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue against that. But at this point, Edwards like he's done everything he needs to do. He agreed to Kamzat Chimaev. Uh, he agreed to Jorge Masvidal. Right. He agreed to Bilal Muhammad. Like he agreed to Nate Diaz, which to be fair was a gift to him in many ways. But like give him his like I know he hasn't beat any top two or three competition. That's fair. But he has put together ten wins since the last time he fought the guy. There's nobody else that's truly as eligible as Leon Edwards. If Usman wants to fight in the next few months. Give him Edwards. Let him take care of business and then have uh, Kamzat and Luke in their next matchups. If it's not against each other, figure out which is more impressive against the higher level competition and, and give them that next shot. Uh, I think I think that's where we kind of are right now. Although we're also in a situation where if Usman loses to whether it be Luke or whoever else, there's probably going to be an immediate rematch. Um, maybe the only exception is if he loses to Kamzat Chimaev because the UFC might not want to risk the immediate rematch, especially if it's a close fight. But let's talk about the co-main event, Nikolai. Rose Namayunas, Weili Zank. What were your impressions on this one, buddy? Wow, uh, you know Jane came Jane came prepared. Like she looked great, and what what we saw is that over over five rounds is over five rounds. Rose was the better fighter. Like Rose had a ton of adversity in this fight. She was on her back. She was getting tagged, awkward positions. Very 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 close fight. But in the championship rounds, Rose pulled Rose pulled away. I did not necessarily think that was going to happen. She ate. She ate some big shots and and got rocked. And I just think she was she was more technical, um, and j- just had more poise. She ma- she managed all aspects of the fight like a champion, like in terms of scoring points, in terms of looking for a finish. Like she and and when it came and when it came down to it, there was an opportunity for Zhang to take that title away in the fifth round, and she could not. She could yep. not stop Rose, and it's yep. not it's not like it's not like Rose is Juliana Pena or like Rou- or like early Rousey, where she you know Rose isn't exactly known for her ability to get the fight to the ground, <laughs> and and to do that uh, with such ease against such a powerful fighter, it, it just shows that Ro- Rose is more. Com- it proved that Rose is more complete, but Zhang is still top of the you know just cream of the crop. Um, so I mean, really, you know, again, not as uh, like the other fight. Uh, it was just they were different. Both both fights were different than their predecessors, which it takes some, uh, you know, kind of some getting used to. But this was like nobody can question Rose and, and her and how good Rose Rose right now is the best. She's the best mixed martial artist at strawweight. Yeah, I don't think there's much doubt about that. I mean, she absolutely needs her corner and her specific two coaches, her husband Pat Barry, and uh, are they uh, are they married now? I'm I'm pretty sure they've been married for a while. By the way, uh, they've been dating uh, since she was like 17, and he was like, I don't know, 30, 30 something. So um, a, a little bit of a weird like start to that relationship there. But they're a uh, happily married couple, and so and so that's great. But yeah, Pat Barry judge. needs to. Uh, they, they they both need to kind of hype her up, right? Leading into that fifth round, the things they were telling her was. Five minutes. You just need five minutes of being a professional. You need five more minutes and you are the best in the world. They have to keep keep saying that to her, but it works, right? She has the right coaching to tap into her potential, and she's extremely skilled under Trevor Whitman. Her hands are fantastic. Uh, her defense is really solid. She's snappy. 
she's fast. Like, how many girls can you say that about at that division? Joanna Janjacek, you could argue, has snapped to her punches, but no power. Rose has fucking power when she lands clean, man. Um, and, and that's the thing, is that Wei Li won that first round, right? The, the takedown, uh, I think, solidified it for her in an otherwise competitive stand-up affair. Uh, the second round, uh, I, I thought Rose took. The, the third round, Wei Li ended on top, and so, and so the argument could be made in her favor. Um, I thought it was either two and two or three and one, possibly in favor of Rose. Again, possibly uh, going into that fifth round, and that fifth round was going to decide it uh, in all likelihood. And Rose came through, man. She got that takedown. She got top position. She persevered through a couple of tough moments. Wei Li Zhang was going for lots of takedowns, lots of leg kicks in this matchup, and the way that Rose was able to defend most of them, uh, it, it it worked out, right? She was successfully taken down. She was in some rough positions. She was able to turn over, specifically in that fourth round, uh, turned over, got top position a couple of times after getting taken down by Zhang and and that made quite a difference and then again like you said that takedown in the fifth round Rose is tested she's tried she's incredibly skilled everywhere you talked about how she's not known for somebody that gets takedowns no, that's because she is so so skilled in the submission and the stand-up game that you forget how good she is, you know, with her takedowns when she wants them. Right? We've seen examples of that against fighters like Michelle Waterson and Paige Van Zandt. Granted, not on this level, but Weili Zhang, if you think about it, right? Prior to her title shot, didn't fight anybody, didn't have anything impressive on her record. She fought a bunch of, uh, I don't know, basically cab drivers uh, leading into her UFC debut and then had a couple of softballs thrown at her. Uh, competitor fight with Tisha Torres led into a, a, a title made event, right? So she's really improved a tremendous amount over the past few years, but she's still behind when it comes to just pure skill, just pure technique. I think a lot more time at Fight Ready MMA is going to help her. I think it's a good camp switch for her in the long term. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rose is the best in the world. Who would you say is next for her, Nick? <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh boy. In that you know, in that division, like I mean, I first I like two things. I like narratives and I like work. And Carla Esparza put in the work. And if I'm Rose, I want to be a champion in the GSP mindset, like Ari like Matt Hughes and Matt Sarah, go get that win back. Yeah. Like <clears throat> Excuse me. Makes perfect sense to me. But I just look at Rose and she's this is a person who only has 15 professional fights and she's lost like 28% of them yeah like she's like and she's only 29 she's just kind of this miracle I mean she looks you know if you if you look at her like when she was on tough she could be a fucking supermodel like when you when her hair's long and you see yep. her made up she's like yep. absolutely like stunningly beautiful and also brings this you know brings like empathy humility and sportsmanship to the cage and it's just she's an this is sounds so trite but she's an inspirational person i get i'm in, i'm in, i get inspired by the way rose uh namayunas con, uh, conducts herself yeah. faces adversity and there are times there are times in my life during the week where i'm like dude fucking be more like rose namayunas yeah i i, I, I think do hear that. i think she, I, I just i think i think rose is like a fucking sports miracle i think she's really great I think she's incredibly talented. She's just not mentally super strong on her own. She just needs constant reinforcement of that. And that's well, what's impressive, right? I mean, is that most people are not mentally strong yeah. enough to be UFC world champion. Rose on paper is not, but she's still pulling it off, right? And, that, and that's part of, I think, what can be inspirational about her. Um, but, you know, outside of that Wei Li Zhang uh, communist thing, outside of that, she, she, conduct, she conducts herself well. She's generally I mean, respectful she's a kid. and a good human. Yeah, that was a bad... Yeah, that was not a great. That was not a great thing to say. I feel like they've they've cleaned it up. 
Do you I feel under- that way? Because I, I feel under- like she's doubled down a couple of times. Well, they shook hands and they like they they seem oh, yeah, like yeah, they're yeah, sure. people, but but I I mean I I also understand that as a, as a Lithuanian American having some having some feelings. I'm, I mean I'm not a Lithuanian American. She is have, having some feelings about the USSR and and communism as a practice. Like I'm you know like I'm not gonna I'm not really gonna hold that against like St- Stalin and Mao did a lot of damage. Yeah, they like, did, and Weili Zhang is somebody who lives in the country where she lives and has no choice in the matter, just like her family did in Lithuania. They had no choice in the matter. Also, Soviet Union has absolutely well, I don't think she made it zero against, to do with... I don't think with, she made it personal against, against Zhang. I mean, she, no, she did. She, like, she, she um, suggested that Zhang represented that, that that was her choice, and that was what she what she is about, and, and therefore there's an evil there, and, and Zhang is a part of it, is what she suggested. But but anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. Rose yeah, is, then, I, uh, then I think that was, I would describe that as misguided yeah I think that was mis- that, that, misguided that's fair for her to do. uh R- rose is overall a, a good human it's good to hear uh be the champion and and you're right i think carlos parcel is the next one and it's uh, a little bit of a a little bit of an easier matchup than rose has had in a while as far as just the amount of damage that she would need to take in that fight right worst case is that carlos parcel gets takedowns gets in top position shouldn't do a whole lot of damage i don't think because rose is tricky from bottom position but worst case scenario she loses a decision she doesn't take much damage in that one which is not the case against uh, opponents like Li Zhang, uh, opponents like Yoani and Jacek, Jessica Andrade, right? She's taking damage from these people. So, so this will be, you know, you know, this will be like a less dangerous matchup for her mentally, maybe a little bit more doable, and it's one that she can avenge from her UFC debut in which she fought for the title for the same title that she is now uh, reigning over, and uh, and and it's against the opponent that beat her. So, yeah, there's a there's a storyline kind of already built in, and I think that would make things interesting, Nick. We got to talk about Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler. I know this was uh, this was a couple fights down. This was the opener to the main card because they wanted to start it off with something you know very exciting. And I also think they wanted to give Trevor Whitman a little bit of time in between at least some of his fights. Can you imagine if Trevor Whitman had to had to coach three fighters in a row? Yeah, meaning, he wasn't going to be able not, to warm. He couldn't exactly, warm up Rose. Was the issue? Exa- yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly that. And, and which makes me wonder like how Usman got warmed up. But you know, I know he has a whole team. But but that that must have been interesting in itself. So Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, Nick, what do you have to say about this one, man? Fantastic fight. It, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was remarkable. They. I mean, gosh, it. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to how to communicate it. The pro. It, it was an interesting fight, but but Gaethje always always fought to win, and I did not feel like. And I felt like Chandler was in there uh, more, you know, more to test himself, like to test himself in a way. It reminds me of like he was looking for a moral victory after that defeat or something. It reminds me of the fight that um, Jeremy Stevens had against, uh, was it against, yeah, against the beat? It was either against the beat or against uh, his second fight against Jair, where he just seemed, ha- he seemed proud and happy to be there in the third and gain self-confidence in the like in the third and then like got onto the mate the matrix plane of kind of like indes- like indestructible for- like fighter moving forward it it just seemed to me that Chandler didn't it's Chandler wasn't fi- I didn't think Chandler was fighting very very intelligently uh, never does in the and and that was a problem and Gagey was you know Gagey got clipped a few times especially in the first but 
he would back up. He just fought with more, he just fought with way with way more poise, and I do think he probably has more power. I mean, yeah. everyone's hurt. Everybody hurts. The guys with not a lot of pop have, have rocked Gagey. Gagey's just a guy who gets well, rocked. That's the tricky thing, um, right? How did he survive this fight? We haven't seen him do that. I don't think ever before, or ever since his uh, Eddie Alvarez Ch- wars. Chandler or, Ga- yeah. or Gagey? Ch- Chandler. Um, no, Chandler. Uh, I don't know. I think Gagey. I think I think Gagey was fighting with more on the line. I I also think who knows what happened physically to him when he that upper I thought that uppercut was a fight ender. Oh my god. Like that was a vid, that was a video game punch that lifted him, you know, lifted him off his feet. When guy when guys go flying and land on their flat on their back like that from an uppercut, it's usually it. Yeah. Um who who knows what happened to Justin Gagey physically when he saw that. He could have de- like I don't know, he could have depleted adrenaline uh watching it, but yeah, he it just uh and I think after that, I think he knew. I think he knew after two rounds that he was uh, in probably in pretty good shape and had the momentum. So he didn't. He didn't get the kill. You mean uh, Gaethje did? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, Chandler has a great right hand, um, and he's got good takedowns. And that's it. he's fast early at least. That's about it, right? Like he showed more in this fight than he showed in others when it comes to his durability. When it comes to his heart. Um, where you know you're not sure whether it's his durability that fails him when he keeps getting finished, or if it's or if it's the fact that he doesn't want to fight through tough moments. He's shown that he can fight through tough moments. These were some incredibly tough moments in this one, and I think Chandler's kind of mental frame for this helped him, and that he was looking at is this is going to be a war, like this is going to be an insane fight no matter what happens. Whereas when he's not expecting that and he gets clipped, you know maybe he's not mentally prepared to push through those moments, but he did, man. And this one he did. Gaethje's just a better fighter, man. Just like I said it last week. Yeah. Justin Gaethje is uh, arguably elite, right? He, if he's not elite, he is just a centimeter under elite. And Michael Chandler is a good fighter. He's not elite. He, he, he had a spotty record in Bellator against pretty mediocre competition overall. Although Patricky Bibbol is is as high level as it gets, in my opinion. He is one and two in the UFC. And his, you know, his his one win was it was a quality win. For, you know, clearly we're seeing where Hooker is at this point in his career. Unfortunately, right? He's, he's going to beat those prospects that aren't ready for the big time. But he's not going to he's not going to beat a lot of these like uh, skilled horsepower opponents that could get him out of there early. Um, given all the damage he's taken over the course of his career, Michael Chandler is not an elite fighter, um, and we're seeing that now. I, I think the UFC is going to give him a softball. They're going to give him a matchup that he's extremely likely to win next because they like him a lot, and then they're going to jump him right into the top five territory again, and he's going to lose all over again. Um, Michael Chandler, look, he's entertaining. He is He's definitely fun to watch, right? Win or lose, it's rare that he that he has one of those ho-hum decisions where he just kind of rides out top position, uh, even though we have seen that from I, him as well against mid-level competition. I actually disagree. I disagree with you. But I think, I think, I think that Michael Chandler is not going to be, or is no longer going to be a rankings, uh, a rankings focused fighter. I think he's going to be a prize fighter. He's already talking about how seventy two hours after the fight he was at one ninety one. He's calling out Connor at one seventy. I could see him fighting Nate Diaz, uh, like if, or either of the Diaz brothers. Nate Diaz I think, makes I th- some I sense. Think, maybe yeah. I think that I think Michael Chandler for the rest of his days in the UFC is going to be a bonus hunter, and he's probably going to get a lot of bonuses. Well, you're talking about bonuses. He gets paid a lot, Nick. He's too expensive to be a just like an entertaining fighter on the card. Well, they can, and, they can, they can put those in co-mains or main or or mains. I mean, Connor, Connor versus Chandler is good with without uh, any oh, yeah. strap is going to is going to sell. Like Connor versus Nick Bracha is going to sell. I don't know that Chandler's necessary 
for you know for 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 a Connor fight to be big, and it would be a huge opportunity for Michael Chandler. I can definitely see him. You're right, pairing him, pairing them up potentially with Nate Diaz at 170 because I think Chandler would take that fight. Um, but I do think the UFC likes him a lot, and the UFC is going to keep him. Uh, like I, they're not going to just keep him Nick and Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. Like they're they're going to throw him back in there with a with a top person. He's going to talk about wanting the title, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and he'll he'll probably he'll probably get more of those fights against top level competition. Probably going to lose you know half of them. Like again, he's just not elite in my opinion. Um, and and uh, as much as I was looking forward to seeing him get knocked out, I don't know if you noticed. I don't love the guy. He's entertaining. He's fun to watch. I don't love him outside. No, of I don't. That. I don't love me. I don't. I don't love any. I don't want anyone that dials down, doubles down on, on like jingoism bullshit. This someone who doesn't acknowledge that, that a country that was that was a country that was built for for immigrants and uh, and to give you know to give people a chance uh, and doubles down on the other side. I think is you know kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not a I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Michael. Also, like the UFC using Michael Chandler and Black History Month as their like go-to guy that they're going to play videos and interviews with about Black History Month. Why? Because he adopted uh, a, a son who happens to be black. It's like the weirdest, the weirdest fucking thing. But anyway, uh, Michael Chandler, don't love him. Justin Gaethje, fantastic. Um, there, there's some hoopla about Khabib talking about how, you know, Justin Gaethje is like, is like two and three in his last, uh, in, in his last hand. Or uh, Justin Gaethje lost three of his last eight fights or something. Uh, whereas um, Islam is on a nine-fight winning streak. But did Islam fight anybody close to the level of Tony Ferguson, Khabib Nurmagomedov? Well, maybe close to Tony Ferguson. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez. Did he fight anybody like that? Not really. Like, Islam is, uh, it, Listen, it, Islam really got on people's radars with the hooker fight. He's got, like, he needs a, he needs, he needs a name scalp. Islam like, got on people's, Islam got on people's radars, in my opinion, because Khabib told him to. Khabib will talk yeah, him into said it. Right? Need, Khabib yes, talked yeah, about how this is going to be my replacement. This is going to be the now. Islam is incredible. Well, he also good. said, "Go get a finish and do it and talk." And Islam's and Islam on the microphone after yes. beating Hooker showed charisma, showed character. Some I don't know character. if I, I don't know if I would call it charisma, but he showed more than usual. Yeah, uh, he was true. he was funny. He wasn't as he wasn't as amu- he wasn't as entertaining as Hazmat, but he yeah. w- he did say like I don't you know listen if you're a fighter from that part of the world and you do say things like okay my fight I do not need I do not even need shower like. Yeah. Good. Thank you for the soundbite, Islam. Like that's all you. That's you know. That's character. Like yeah, it's, that's it's, a personality. It's f- funny you say that. I I sometimes notice uh, the numbers on on fighter interviews, post fighter interviews, and what have you. Guys like comes uh, comes out Chimaev, Guys like Colby Covington versus guys like Kamar Usman. And man, Usman got like three hundred thousand views on his post fight press conference. Colby Covington got like a million as of a few days ago. Right? Like there is real. Like say what you will. There was real interest in these talkers. Comes out Shemaev gets crazy views on his interviews on on, on his even non fighting stuff. Whereas guys like Islam, Islam was going to get like two hundred thousand views, and that's really what drives the UFC. I think more than anything else in a division full yeah. of names, they're probably not going to give it to Islam unless for some reason Dana feels beholden to to Khabib, which I can't imagine is the case. I'm sure there's a respect there. Uh, Nick, let's quickly just breeze through the rest of this. Marlon Vera, uh, Frankie Edgar looked good early. Marlon Vera started to take over. His pressure started to wear on him. I expected Frankie Edgar at age 40 not to have the same durability, uh, which you know you and I agreed about, although usually it's in the first round that he gets knocked out. I expected him not to have the same conditioning. And it did kind of work out that way, man. He started to, he's, the, the, the tide started to turn, and then Marlon Vera landed that beautiful Anderson Silva uh, snap kick to the jaw, one of the cleanest ones why did ever. You, why did you question Frankie's conditioning? 
because he's 40 years old, Nick, and he's a guy who relies on reflexes. He's a guy who oh, relies on durability. Okay, so not not the work, not necessarily the work that he puts in, just deterioration. Oh, well, time. well, that's the thing. Yeah, at 40, you're just not going to have the same conditioning, right? Uh, Manny Pacquiao, he's still really good early, but as as the fight uh, wears on, he's not the same guy is, anymore. And you, is it is it because you can't do the training that it re- required to get to that level of conditioning without getting hurt? Right. Well, well that, exactly. Well, well, that's the thing is, right? Okay. Like your durability during training is a factor, but also your capacity, your gas tank. Think of your gas tank as being, I don't know, 10 gallons at 25. It's more like, it's more like, uh, I don't know, nine gallons at, at 36 and more like seven gallons at 40, right? Like there, there is just a limit as to how much, uh, how much conditioning you can have at that point. Like your testosterone levels are dropping off. The entire body reacts to that in so many ways, which also affects you mentally, right? On top of everything else. Um, and so, yeah, like the, there's a limit as to how much training, you, hard training you can do without getting hurt. Um, th- there's a limit as to how much sparring you can do with these younger guys who are probably more explosive or probably more durable, who can take your, take your offense and you maybe can't take as much of theirs. So yeah, man, at age 40, again, for a guy that relies on reflexes, for a guy that relies on being the faster guy, um, that's not going to stick around for a whole lot. And against a momentum building fighter like Marlon Vera, you know, that's what made me give Marlon Vera the slight edge. Although I saw the possibility for Frankie Edgar to get takedowns like Josie Aldo did. Um, I, I expect the Marlon Vera to be able to do more damage. Uh, uh, even though, you know, it's it's often upper body attacks, it's elbows and punches that knock Frankie Edgar out. Obviously, besides that flying knee by uh, Sanhagen, Marlon Vera's kicking game is, is like sick, man. It's solid. Yeah, I don't want to talk anymore about this one. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Shane Burgos, Billy Quarantillo. Quarantillo basically looked really good in the first round, which which I was hoping that version of him could could do two rounds of that, but it wasn't enough. Shane Burgos was the more technical fighter. He's the he's the condition fighter. Power too. disadvantage. Yeah, big pa- power exactly, disadvantage. Exactly, exactly. Power disparity, but also just like skill standing. Quarantillo wasn't able to take him down consistently. I thought Quarantillo could take his back against the cage, given how Burgos gets up usually and how he defends takedowns. But and it seemed like Quarantillo tried to, but it, it just Bur- Burgos was good enough defensively. Um, I do this sometimes where I underestimate a guy who had a couple of embarrassing losses at a very high level, and then he they pair him up with an up and comer, and I and I tend to. And I sometimes give the upper up and cover a little more credit, even though he's not as skilled. And this was one of those cases where I edged slightly toward Billy Quarantillo because I expected him to do more of what he did in that first round. Yeah, it was a good it was a good fight. Just had the unfortunate uh, unfortunately it followed that that absolute banger of guys just who yes. were who were just throwing who were throwing even harder. And Burgos throws hard. Uh, but Absolutely. yeah, a good, a good, a good main card fight. I just think that Burgos is, are they, these are both guys who've got like l- fairly limited upsides in the division. I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, but Burgos, you know, he has potential, but you're right. I, I don't, I don't see him getting, he's taking, he's, ta- he's taking a lot of damage and he's too, yeah. he's already too hittable durability exactly. in this division. Durability is not going to be his friend. Yeah, well, especially for a guy that's not very defensively minded. You're, you're right about that. Uh, Alex Pereira got a flying knee knockout. That was pretty good after, you know, a little bit of adversity early. Bobby Green, I like Quinta. Man, I was so confident in Bobby Green. I didn't expect him to smoke him like this, but I expected him to be notably better than, notably faster, notably sharper, more skilled than Ally Quinta. The style matchup, in my opinion, was not an Ally Quinta's favor. Man, this was bad. This is his third dominant, decisive loss in a row. And this time he got finished in the first round, man. It's not a good look for him. I feel bad for him. But Bobby Green looked, uh, looked good man he's really coming into his own at age what is he 36 now at this point he's 35 yeah. really really coming into his own man he's not going to be a world beater he's not going to beat the top top but he's certainly going to beat the ally quinces of the world uh phil hawes looked great early and then got clocked by chris curtis you were going to pick chris curtis i took that pick away from you sorry buddy uh nasardine and mavava was super confident in, in him holy against cow edmund, edmund shabazzi and yeah that, that one worked out by the way speaking of just quickly nick the bets from last week um 
had, had a lot had a lot of success with a lot of my suggestions. I recommended a bet on Chris Barnett at those odds. Justin Gaethje at minus one ninety was, was a good deal. I recommended a, a bet um, a plus five hundred for on Covington by decision, just like a little throwaway, like the kind of thing you throw twenty bucks at and make a hundred at. Um, I recommended a bet on Oze Ode Osborne. He came through. Nasruddin and Mavov came through. So really good night of bets for me uh, overall, and, not, and some really good me. suggestions. But- no, no, you even, you, though, you placed... even though I wasn't wrong, I did some creative parlays that didn't work. But uh, you, you really did. quickly, two dominant victories. Uh, Ian Gary, uh, after 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 some adversity, landed uh, a couple of hellacious shots on Jordan it was Williams. A counter right cross, yeah. Chris Barnett, <coughs> spinning heel kick to yeah. end Gian Volante's career. Now, both I'll only speak very very briefly. Both Gary and Barnett set the stage for one aspect of the evening that really worked in MSG. These guys were hot on the stick. They both gave, yes. re- they got the microphone, and they were articulate, sharp, made their points. It was almost like being an MSG that the UFC had told them a month out, guys, this is your moment. Get ready to cut your pro wrestling promo. Yeah. What does it look like? Because fighters are not usually, like especially undercard fighters, are yeah. not usually fire on the stick like these guys were. But And they set the stage for that, and it, and it proceeded for the rest of the night. Fighters were electric. The crowd was electric. And as an event... I really felt like uh, like it delivered, and it it felt it had a good it got a good vibe to it, a good big sports and sportsmanship vibe. I, I could agree with you more. And for the record, Ian Gary and Chris Barnett are both super charismatic guys, particularly Chris Barnett, who, by the way, like didn't have to make it about Jan Volante, but like spoke about Jan Volante, even though he's he's never been a good fighter, and like threw the mic <laughs> to him, knowing that it, this was his retirement fight. So big credit to Chris Barnett and Ian Gary. Man, he looked rough against Jordan Williams for a while there, and then got the big counter cross man he you know his youth durability and his power really came through but jordan williams was kind of piecing him up a little bit so there's an opening for uh for how you can potentially beat the eight and oh ian gary but you know a, a solid prospect man he's huge for the division very skilled very fast so he's got a lot of the intangibles for and a guy young. that's only eight and oh yeah super young, young. Yes, sir. Uh, Nikolai, let's take a break. We got a lot to break down. Uh, UFC Fight Night. You know what? This one, Nick, only 11 fights, not 14 or 16 fights like it has been lately. Holloway versus Rodriguez. I'm excited to talk about at least a few of these fights. Let's take a break, come back, and break it down. And we're back on the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. We're going to get into our draft. We each take turns picking fighters, competing on the upcoming cards as we kind of break down the, the card for you all. Uh, at the end of the uh, Saturday night, we tallied uh, up the entire total. I am 11 points ahead of Nick at this point. Keeping my lead, Nikolai, with just a couple of months left to the season. But Nikolai, you get first pick. Go for it. Um, I'm going to go for the main event. I'm going to pick Max Holloway. Uh, to piece up Yair Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez has not been, has not been active um, I I, th- I think that Max, is, I think he's only going to beat guys who um, are defensively porous, and Max is the opposite of that. In fact, he could be one of the more defensively sound fighters, I think, uh, in the division. I think his head movement is really good. I, I think he's, uh, he's, a, he's better at controlling distance. I think if Max can keep this at boxing range versus kicking range, he's going to... Um, he's going to piece up Rodriguez. I just don't see a path of victory to Rodriguez here except a puncher's chance, and no one's really ever done that to Max Holloway. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, here's the thing. Outside of Max Holloway's last fight, his he's not really known for his defense, right? This was purely a boxer that he was able to slip his head out of the way for. But he does get hit quite a bit on his way to just overwhelming his opponents often enough. Uh, seems what seems to me like what works against Max. I, mean, I feel like he I feel like he gets hit with shots that he rolls with and stuff. Not like I still feel like he's kind of defending. He doesn't like lean into or get hit by like knocked. He doesn't get knocked down. He doesn't get. Like, no, not, not a whole lot. He's super durable, but but you know it's it's fighters like Jose Aldo had a lot of success against him in both fights early, right? And and that Jose Aldo is very skilled, very fast, and Max was hittable enough, right? And and if you look at his uh, defense percentage, it's not like that awesome. He gets hit with about forty five percent of the strikes that are thrown at him at at forty forty to fifty percent. Like if you're landing forty to fifty percent on your opponent, you're probably winning this fight. Um, at least at least in the stand-up arts purely, and that's what most of Max's fights are like. Uh, so Max has a tough time against opponents that are able to disrupt his rhythm, right? He kind of builds momentum slowly, usually starts off slow and builds momentum and gets stronger and puts more and more and more and more numbers uh, out there, right, as far as strikes landed. Um, and, and guys like Poirier, guys like Volkanovski were able to consistently disrupt, uh, disrupt his rhythm with counters. And, and that seems to be what works. Rodriguez has some of the potential for that, right? Max is known for having fought many five-round fights and doesn't appear exhausted at the end of a 25-minute war. Yuri's only gone to the fifth round one time. So I would say, like, on paper, and especially with Yair being pretty tired against Jeremy Stevens in his last fight, granted, after he tried to finish him, Yair is known for his gas tank as well because those kicks take a lot of energy. But I'm going to give the edge to Max by, by, a, by a bit with a cardio. Striking, Max will have better hands. Yair will have better kicks. Uh, and Volkanovski was able to land plenty of kicks on Max, and Yair's kicks are going to be like horsepower. They're going to be explosive. They're going to be extremely fast. So I can see Yair catching him uh, in the first half of that fight. Neither guy goes to takedowns very much, but Yair is more likely to go for him. Max has excellent takedown defense, so super, super close. There could go either way. Durability goes to Max, I think, by a long shot. As we've seen Yair wilt from bottom position against Frankie Edgar's ground and pound, uh, we haven't seen Max break in 24 fights, as far as I can tell. Uh, plus, the more conditioned fighter is usually more durable, and I think... I tend to think it's got to be Max because he spends less energy with his punches than uh, Yair will with his kicks. Yair has a shot at finishing uh, Max Holloway since he has the advantage of power when it comes to his strikes. He's also very unpredictable. Max is not known for his defense outside of that last fight. Yair will probably win the first two rounds before Max's swarming style starts to kind of zap Yair's energy. But I have to give Yair his fair due. He is 8-1-1 one, one in the UFC against opponents like Korean Zombie, Jeremy Stevens, Alex Caceres, and Andre Philly, right? He's not fighting low-level competition. Max is 2-3 and three in his last fights. Granted, losses are to who I consider to be the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the sport in Volkanovski and Dustin Poirier, who's like significantly bigger. Um, Yair probably improved a tremendous amount in the last two years, right? Based on his growth rate leading up to that, he's coming into this fight over uh, off a two-year layoff. There's a good chance he is way better as a fighter so he has a chance here i think the odds are way way too wide i'm taking max holloway by stoppage in the fourth or fifth round because i'm not betting on year to have the gas tank to fight his style and win rounds without getting tired especially after a two-year layoff uh this has the potential to be contender for fight of the year uh and i and i'm factoring in the the fight from last week between chandler and uh and gaethje so so man some really exciting stuff coming up uh which leads me to my first pick i'm going to take the matchup between sean woodson and colin anglin Colin Anglin, he's got some talents. Like He's a pretty good wrestler. He hits pretty hard. He gets guys out of there that are basically not at nearly UFC level. Woodson will be way bigger with a solid, if not like very fast hands. And uh, and, and like the the kind of opponent that Anglin be beats is just not Woodson. I think Woodson is going to be able to put, put some numbers on him, even though he's a slower guy, and take over as the fight progresses. Yep, I'm with you. 
I'm with you on that. Um, what you got, homie? I'm, I got for my next pick, uh, even though the odds are super close here, I think that coming off of uh, getting decimated by Jessica Andrade, that Cynthia Cavillo is, um, got too much wrestling for Andrea Lee. I like Andrea Lee a lot. I think she's. I don't know if I'd say that she's undersized, but I, th- I just find that I, I, she's had trouble with the grappling gang, a game of lesser grapplers than Cynthia Cavillo. Um, so I think this is a tough one for her. She may squeak out around because I do think she's probably the better boxer. Um, but I think Cavillo's got something to prove, and I think she's gonna. She wants a W to get the W that she lost, and she's gonna get right back in there uh, by making this an ugly fight up against the cage and putting Lee on her back. Yeah, I think the standup will be pretty competitive with an edge to Lee, but I think uh, I think you're right. In all likelihood, just given Lee's lack of takedown defense, Cavillo should be able to get top position enough to uh, win a decision. So I, I, I'm there with you on that one. My next pick is going to be in the Felicia Spencer Leia Lutzen matchup. I think that Leia Lutzen, you know, she's got some decent fundamentals. She's got a couple of strengths, but they're just not on that level, right? Felicia Spencer didn't look great in her last fight, and she does have a few losses in the UFC, but she two of her losses are to Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunes by decision, right? She's tough enough to have gone eight rounds with, you know, those two ladies combined. And she was like 7-0 and when she faced Chris Cyborg. So, like, it shouldn't have even happened, right? But she was tough and she was gritty and she waited through it. She's not improving as much as I'd like to see her improving. I think her speed needs improvement. I think uh, more uh, focused on stand-up technique. Her wrestling isn't awesome, but her grappling game, once she is on the floor, pretty solid, pretty stellar. And I think that should be enough to uh, win this fight. With you. With you on that. My next... Uh, my next pick is this is this could be fight of the night, but I'm but I am feeling confident about it. I think that Song Yadong is just uh, has a little more tenacity and a little more durability than than Julio Arce 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 Arce. How do you say his name? Arce, I believe. Arce than Julio Arce. I think this has got. Uh, I think it's likely to be a banger. I just I haven't seen an example of Yadong having a moment of quit in him, and I think he's durable as hell. But I think this has got a, a real contender for scrap of the night. Yeah, I mean, th- this fight is going to be competitive as hell. Yudong Song is extremely athletic, very fast, right? And Ars has struggled against guys that fit that profile, against guys like Shaman Marais, um, against guys yep. like, uh, uh, what's the other gentleman's name, who's, I think, from Nigeria, Duwa- Hakim Duwadu. And yep. this is that kind of opponent. The problem, the thing is that Ars is cutting down to 135, where, you know, he's not going to be the smaller man on top of being the less athletic man. Judging by his last fight, he looked faster. He looked more in tune. He looked so sharp on his defense and his offense. So, look, I think it's going to be a super close fight. I think Song Yudong probably takes the first two rounds, enough of that second round, before the fight starts going in, the, in, in Ars's way. And then Ars could potentially win the third round 10-8. So, I'd recommend at plus 8,000, put a bet on this to go by 10-8. decision. 10-8. 10-8. Okay. Well, uh, there, there, well there, there's, a, there's a chance. I'm not saying this will definitely happen, but there's a chance that this is a fight that that could happen. It could be a foul that could make this a draw. So, again, put plus 8,000 yeah, odds see, on this. Do you think mm-hmm. that Sadong, you think that Yudong Song, like, uh, I mean, he's not, a, he does, he's not a third, he's not a, a round three crasher. No, he's not, but he does slow down. And that's generally in, in okay. the last part of the fight is usually where he uh, starts, to, starts to tail a, a bit behind, which is why I'm curious okay. to see him in a, in a five-rounder. But, again, uh, uh, the odds on this going to a draw, plus 8,000, put $10 down and you win 800 if it happens to be a draw. And if not, then you lost 10 bucks. It's worth it. I would say uh, bet 
arse by decision. The prop is plus 320. And then just to hedge, you can put Yudong Song in a parlay to hedge that bet. Um, I, I think there's definitely some potential betting opportunities here if you're if you're willing to make the right decisions. Nick, my next pick is going to be, and by the way, uh, your last two picks were like lower on my list because I'm less confident in uh, Song and Calvillo, it sounds like, than you are. I have supreme confidence. I get that. Uh, close, my next- close, close fights where I feel strongly about the outcome. That's fair. Uh, my next pick is going to be the Courtney Casey Liana Jujua matchup. Liana Jujua is one and two in the UFC, and the one fight that she did win, she had to come back and win via armbar after she was basically kind of getting dominated. Courtney Casey fights really close with super high level opposition. She gets wrestled at times and just kind of lays on her back. I don't expect that to happen here. I think Courtney Casey's way better, and she's going to win this fight. Well, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see uh, Jakar Close's uh, lady friend and a terrific fighter in her own right. Um, get a victory because yep. she's had she's had some bad luck she i'm gonna keep her. picking difficult fights just to uh just to mess with you what you got um oh boy oh am i gonna do it do i have the guts to do it <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go for it i'm i'm gonna go with the underdog uh chaos williams reasonable against uh against miguel baeza i really like I really like Baeza, um, but at the same time, he just like in that fight against Ponsonibio, he uh, about you know about a quarter into the second round, like it was clear that Ponsonibio wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, and he did not. He didn't have much of a plan B, and I feel like Chaos Williams is going to be able to hang around long enough, and I don't think enough time has gone by. Um, for, yeah, for, for Baeza to kind of like fix that. So I think he could be in some trouble um, under under Williams' like insane power as the fight uh, gets into its second half. See, it's interesting. You you liken this to Santiago Pazanibio, and, and that's fair, right? Like with Chaos Williams' power, it's tough not to think of the times Baeza got staggered by Matt Brown or Ponzinibbio. Chaos has the kind of power that can shut off a chin that's like exposed, essentially. Right? But Baez at range with leg kicks and liver kicks might keep Williams' right hand holstered, right? If you if you have a southpaw, which Baez is versus an orthodox matchup, the southpaw throwing for those left while. kicks. Uh, well, yeah, for, for a while, and that's I, fair. But it's I, not wor- like I worry about Williams... Baez getting tired. Interesting. Again, the, I don't know that Williams has the craft that Ponzinibbio did, but you might be right. You might very well be right. This is a super close fight on paper. Don't get me wrong. But Baeza at range with those leg kicks and liver kicks, right? Um, if he keeps throwing that body kick on Chaos Williams, it's going to make Williams think twice about throwing his right hand, which is really his power shot. Um, Baeza is also a solid grappler, and will be throwing lots of jabs at Williams, probably keeping him at bay. And worst case, if they do get close, Baeza should have the edge on the floor. I think we might see the version of Chaos that fought Michelle Pereira after the first several body kicks and left hands land for Baeza. I think, like... He's going to realize the danger, and he's going to be careful, be cautious. And again, not confident, but I'm edging Baez in another potential firefight in this one. I'm hoping it's exciting. I hope that uh, both guys come to fight. Uh, this will be a lot of fun. And honestly, we, we might just get like a top 15 level uh, prospect out of this matchup. My next pick is going to be in the Tiago Moises-Joel Alvarez matchup. This one's particularly interesting because as much as 
Moises has been like a solid BJJ black belt for years, right? Recently, he's leveled up a striking and wrestling, putting a couple of big wins together as an underdog against the likes of Bobby Green. He's coming off a dominant loss to Islam Mahashev, though. Joel is great at range, which usually makes opponents want to shoot, where Joel is able to lock in a guillotine choke on the way down or a dash choke. If he ends up on his back, he has fantastic triangles. He's 18-2, and 3-1 and one in the UFC. Every one of his wins are by stoppage neck. So Joel will have the edge standing since he'll manage distance well, but... Not a good idea to let Moises shoot on under you if you're expecting to lock in a submission. The only person that looked good grappling against Moises was Mahachev. So uh, because I think Moises is the better wrestler, I'm giving him the edge. But Alvarez is worth a bet at plus 215, man. Like uh, Moises is solid, but Alvarez is really, really talented, man. That guy's no joke. Yep, I have Moises as well. Uh, My next pick, this is a fight I'm really looking forward to, uh, which is rare for this weight class. Um, I'm going to go such a tough one. I'm going to go with the slight favorite, Da Eun-jung, uh, to defeat uh, Kennedy and Suchuku. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, both, yeah, both guys under 30, 6'5 and 6'4. Huge reach advantage still even at those massive heights uh, for Kennedy. But Da Eun-jung is just a much, he's just a much more seasoned guy. He only has a few more fights. He's 14-2-1 versus 9-1. But as talented as Kennedy is, he's just so, he's so raw in there. And I, he's been able to get away with that against um, certain kinds of opponents, usually ones that are equally as green or just not as athletically talented. I think he's coming up against a guy who's physically talented and, and, just, uh, and just savvier. And Kennedy is going to make mistakes um, in the in the fight, and I could see Ung either landing something big, although Kenny has proved to be very like I think pretty durable. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that he gets a neck. Yeah, Kennedy realized that he isn't going to be the more skilled guy in many of these matchups, so he changed his style to just be like purely a pressure swarmer. Like he doesn't mind taking your offense, but he's going to keep throwing nonstop ones and twos. He's a really tall guy, right? He's tough. He's durable, which makes that style work against kind of, like you said, inexperienced, albeit talented competition. Dalwin Jung has some solid fundamentals. He's also a big, strong guy. He has kind of a, kind of a rote style based on fundamentals that works more often than not. This should be another fun one. Um, giving Jung's performance against Sam Alvey, who is smaller, lower output, and arguably beat him. I think I'm going with the relentlessness of uh, relentless offense of Enzajuku to take over early in the second round and kind of uh, ride out a decision there. But it easily could go either way. This is the fight that I'm least confident in. Um, and then we're down to two fights left. And um, once I make this pick, we're going to have five picks apiece. Uh, the, the last pick we can quickly break down and then we're going to kind of keep that on the back burner. Um, I'm, I'm trying to decide between the Rothwell, the Lima, and yeah, it's tough. Well, these are yeah. matchups. These are both well. These are both fights with guys. Diakasi's been gone for to like two years, and like yeah. with Rothwell, you never know. You know, kind of like what he's got left in the tank. This is just really a question of like, what ver- what are these guys? This is it's hard to call when you just don't know what guys have left. Yeah, yeah I think you're right about that. Given given some of the some of the dynamics there, I, I guess I'll. I guess I'll take the flyer on the Diakasi fight because it'll be way more exciting. Yeah, even he's though he's also I'm... only 28, by the way, he's just been gone for yeah. a year and a half. No, well, a year it's half. true. Honestly, it's true. Diakasi's pr- improved a lot um, since his UFC debut, but then against, like, he debuted uh, debuted against a guy with extreme athleticism and some spinning shit. Uh, as a guy with extreme athleticism and some spinning shit, not much else to his game back then. He has since improved and rounded out his game in addition to kind of sharpening his hands. 
doesn't usually react well to pressure, especially from a heavy hitter. And Alves is just like a classic Brazilian Muay Thai artist, right? He just pressures forward with big bombs, all power shots, not the highest MMA IQ. He'll go for guillotines against better grapplers and stuff as they're shooting. Alves has what it takes to pressure and beat Dacasse, but I'm not sure he'll make good decisions in there. Dacasse has shown that he can make adjustments and that he's kind of maturing as a fighter. And all this layoff, I'm, I'm hoping that he's improved. I'm hoping that in England, he's got a good training situation, which is always a huge question mark nowadays given the covid uh, uh restrictions and, and all that so i'm picking decasi to beat alves in a fun fight but definitely risk to this one yeah there i guess i'll agree with you but i, I don't fucking know um yeah and then my, the last the last fight i know it's an even one i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with rothwell i just think that um i think that marcos rosario de lima has only shown that he he can he can beat the he's only defeated like the real fringes of the division and, uh, and not a lot of guys who are still in the UFC and Rothwell has just been in there with the cream of the crop over, you know, over the last two decades. Um, and I don't think, I, I don't think his chin is gone. Um, I just see him, I just see him being like far too crafty, uh, for Delima. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right. DeLima has a good five minutes in him against an opponent who's actually going to fight back and resist. And even though both guys can get tired, Rothwell gets much less tired than does DeLima. So I, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I think Rothwell has some options. There's even a chance uh, that on a tired Marcos Rogério DeLima who shoots him for a takedown in that second or third round, Rothwell locks in that same guillotine he finished his last fight with. So I've got Rothwell there too. To be honest, I probably should have picked Rothwell rather than Diacase because it's probably more of a sure thing, but it's, it's really very hard to be a, a super confident uh, in this situation. Uh, Nikolai, this that is it for this card. Uh, we're going to replace you know, the Rothwell fight in case any other fights fall out. Might end up with a 10-fight uh, uh, card this weekend, which, man, I, I, I could use that. I could appreciate a little bit of a break. Um, Vieira versus Misha Tate, Nikolai, is next week. Michael Chiesa, Sean Brady is coming up. You know what? That's November 20th. That is, in fact, next week. Niaya, um, Calderwood versus Talia Santos. So Adrian Yanez, David Grant is going to be a fi- fireworks man, nonstop. So definitely some stuff to look forward to uh, in the in the next uh, matchup. We got Pat Sabatini, who's a who's a, uh, uh, a prospect coming in. Nathan Levy versus Rafael Garcia, Loma Lagbume. So definitely some prospects on this card. Some things to potentially look forward to, but not not star studded by any means. It's a lower level card than this week, the one coming up this weekend, and the prior two that yep. we were discussing, Nick. Yeah, yeah. But then right around the corner, baby, we got Rob Font, Aldo, Fizia, Verdell, and Matt Brown, Brian. Barbarina. That's three top fights that are going to have 0% boring. Also, in that yeah, same main card, you got Jimmy Crude against Jamal Hill, uh, which is also zero possibility to be boring. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, there's really lots of approach. I'm glad the UFC's like, it seems like at least temporarily stopped with these absolutely terrible cards where they put all the fighters that they owe fights to but don't care about. Um, maybe, maybe this should make hard work.